This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host, Vicki Bolson, is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. This season's podcast is brought to you by Sexton's Creek Productions, an independent design agency offering video production, audio production, web development, digital media design, and much more. They believe in pushing creative boundaries to achieve excellence and taking a unique, collaborative approach to every project. They believe brand equals reputation, and that businesses with the best brands are those who develop a bond of trust and shared values with their audience. It can be a real struggle for businesses to gain the trust of their audience when they can't represent themselves accurately or consistently. That's why Sexton's Creek Productions was created, to help businesses communicate in an authentic and consistent manner. Learn more about building trust with an audience by visiting sextonscreekproductions.com. Hey, Kathy. Hey, how are you? I'm okay. You're sounding kind of strange. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I did burn my tongue this morning, and I'm going to have to talk to our guest today about this because it was on coffee. Oh. Yeah, I... Um, you do that all the time. I know. Well, <laughs> I think, I, you know, that I have this... I always have a cup of coffee in the morning, and I put, um, a, you know, a little cream or something in it, so it it's never too hot, but then I filled up my little thermos for the drive down here, oh. and that thermos must really work because I went to take a sip, and it was so hot. I mean, you have to take the lids off of those things because I that... have the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it gets like, yeah, it stays that way forever. Oh. So, Well, I, I guess my my coffee maker makes it you know, get really? too hot. I used to have a problem. I'd burn my tongue with McDonald's coffee all the time, which I love. Okay. I know that's really, I, I love well, McDonald's don't, don't coffee. Don't tell our next guest. I know. That. Okay. <laughs> I okay. okay. All right. So our next guest is really inspiring. Um, his life story has translated into a change-making business with a team that spans over 900 members across the Northeast that represent the change makers of tomorrow. Nick Bayer is the founder and CEO of Saxby's, a social impact and coffee company. Their mission is to make life better. Saxby's accomplishes this through a number of innovative programs, including the Pioneering Experiential Learning Program, which is in partnership with Drexel University, and it's the nation's first entirely student-run cafe where students earn full academic credit and wages through a university cooperative education program. Nick is also, in addition to being CEO of Saxby's, uh, currently the entrepreneur in residence at Cornell University School of Hotel Administration, an adjunct professor at Drexel University, and the executive in residence at Temple University's Fox School of Business. Temple's where my um, stepdad went. In 2017, he was named the Entrepreneur of the Year by the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, as well as um, EY's Social Entrepreneur of the Year. And he lives in Philadelphia. And we had such a great um, pre-interview with him. So Mm -hmm. welcome, Nick. Thanks, ladies. It's my pleasure to be on. So, So, Nick, I just have to ask, what in the world started you down this path because you have had quite a bit of success. Oh, I 
I appreciate that. You know, although I, I think that we're still very much a, a work in progress, and I think the uh, the best is in front of us. But you know, it's, it's a pretty circuitous path to get into the the quote unquote coffee and social impact space. But you know, it's I think like most entrepreneurs or most people that, that love what they do for a living, you sort of take your life experiences and say, I'm either going to stand for something even better than, than what I came from, or I'm going to do something entirely different and, and love what I do. And and so my life circumstances were I have two awesome parents, but they started a family way earlier than they wanted to or ready to. And so they didn't get an education. Uh, they pretty much took whatever jobs that they could get. And for 18 years living in their, in their house, you know, I, I heard them feel uninspired by the work that they were doing and, and wish that they could have done things uh, differently. And so when I went away to college, the, the first person in my family to be able to do so, I saw that as like a great opportunity for me, not just take a step forward, but but to really sort of leverage those life experiences and do something that I truly love to do. And, and you know, looking on my life at that time and, and certainly today, I'm at my best when I'm doing things for other people. You know, like that that's just what makes me feel good. It's what makes me motivated. And so I really wanted to build something, uh, particularly a business, uh, that would do well for other people. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's great. That, that's that's just, um, it's it's so wonderful to hear about people who who just feel that way about, you know, waking up every day and, and thinking about others instead of just yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think what's great about it, and I, I heard uh, your guys' intro, obviously. I think what what's so great about that is, like, it's, this business is so much bigger than me now. You know, like, there was a time early, early on when it felt really good that I'd wake up every single day and I knew I'd have a long day and a million things would, would happen, some that I would know about, wouldn't know about. But today, like, we have over 900 team members where the average age of our team members is about 23 years old. And so we get the opportunity to be able to sort of proselytize the importance of doing something that you love to do, not just for myself or my management team or the leadership team in the company, but for lots and lots of young people who come from all different types of backgrounds. And so I I think that that's like, it's both a heavy responsibility, but it's pretty awesome that we get to, to help, you know, the next generation of change makers do something that they love to do, which is to take care of people. How did the mission Make Life Better come to be? So, you know, when I first started Saxby's, I, I knew that I wanted to be in, in the people business. And that's why I picked the coffee industry. You know, I, I really wanted a business that any and everybody could could enjoy and experience. And so, you know, I love that we'll serve about 15,000 guests on, on any given day. And we'll serve people that are multimillionaires. We'll serve people that sadly might have slept on the street the night before. And we serve them both with dignity and respect and they share space together. But what I didn't realize and what I've grown to love about our business is the same thing can be said from, from an employment perspective. So we have people who have PhDs in Saxby's and we have people that we've hired out of homeless shelters or job reentry programs. And everybody starts at the same spot and has absolutely no ceiling or hindrance to, to growth. And so we have people from both walks of life who have grown unbelievable careers over a lot of years in, in our company. And so Make Life Better takes on a lot of form for us. Like we want to make life better, uh, first and foremost, for our team members. We want them to love what they do, love working with each other every day. And when they have a great time and you know, bring their full selves to work, it's amazing the kinds of smiles and the kind of impact that they can have on our thousands and thousands of guests every single day. And and I want to be able to take our business and take the success of our business and make our communities better. You know, we, we live, uh, I, I live in Philadelphia, which is where our business is headquartered. And 
you know, when you come into Philadelphia, you see these glistening high rises, you see all these colleges and universities, all these big companies, but we still have um, 27% of our people live at or below the poverty lines. So we have a lot, a lot of people in this city who are just not getting opportunities to, to enjoy their lives. And I think it's the responsibility of businesses like ours, where we're social entrepreneurs, to not just run successful businesses, but to use that success to be able to help our community and pick people up out of poverty or give people opportunities to, to be able to love what they do. And that, that's what Make Life Better means to us. Was that part of your mission when you uh, began, or did it evolve into a mission later on, uh, you know, years later? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it, it was certainly in my heart. Like, it was it was what I wanted to do, but I, you know, I had a government economics degree from college. I graduated at a time where we weren't teaching entrepreneurship, and so I didn't realize that the best businesses out there are those that have defined mission core values and that you write and define your culture, and then you launch your business. I sort of did it backwards. Mm. I thought I had to, you know, be a good boss, be a good leader, you know, um, serve my people really well, sell a lot of coffee, and then you could start investing into creating a unique culture. I had that completely backwards. And, um, you know, when I got to become a, an entrepreneur in residence at Cornell's Hospitality School, I fortunately was, was probably more of a student, that, or, you know, a student than I was, um, you know, a teacher for a while. But I, I got to learn that the best businesses, you know, the best sort of, uh, business advantage is, a, is an unbelievable company culture. And so I was about six or seven years into Saks. We hadn't yet literally written down our, our mission statement or our core values. It was it was sort of there. The ethos was there. Like We've always been a business about our people and about our communities. But when you blink and you've got 50, 200, 900 people in your company, if it's not, a, if it's not actually defined and written down and hired to and trained to and supported to, it becomes very hard um, for your business to sort of um, operate efficiently and productively in the same direction. And so, you know, it was probably about six or seven years ago that we actually finally defined our mission statement and our core values. And I mean, you could look at the trajectory of our company and we have had some success up to that point, but nothing like the success we've had after we actually defined our culture and allowed it to permeate every single thing that we do. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we do. We hear that a lot. Did you have someone who was a main influence in your life? I mean, other than your, sounds like you, you know, adore your parents and they were excellent. But is there someone outside of that that was uh, a huge influence to you, a mentor? Yeah, you know, I would say I, I oftentimes will use, I can't I can't thank her enough. I had a middle school teacher named Mrs. Lyshen. Um, you know, my it's funny, life is all about, you know, everything is sort of relative. And, you know, my parents were young, started a family, had some rocky times, um, you know, in their life. And so people, like, especially when I went on to Cornell or I went on to, like, being, you know, in the business world, people like, oh, man, it's tough. Like, your parents are so young and having a rocky. But where I grew up, like, I had both of my parents in my life. And a lot mm-hmm. of people that I grew up with didn't have both their parents in their life. And so I, I was fortunate from that perspective. But, you know, I didn't go to great schools early in my life. And I had a teacher in seventh grade, Mrs. Aishin, who pulled my parents aside and, and pretty much told them told them that they needed to get me somewhere else for school, that I needed to go somewhere where there'd be more resources, um, probably more sort of structure and better opportunity for me to be able to learn um, at the level that I needed to be able to learn. And, and that really changed my changed my life for one. My, my parents 
sent me away to a, a private Catholic high school that I did not enjoy for a couple of years because I felt like I was an outcast and I was different than everybody else. I was from a different neighborhood. Um, but then when I was graduating college, you know, I had no idea what it was I wanted to do for a living. I had spent summers doing finance in New York and real estate in Los Angeles and logistics in Charlotte. I was sort of a square peg in a round hole and, and yeah, I called Mrs. Aisha and Aww. remember her telling me that um, she's like looking at seeing where you are in your life, you know, will make me retire a happy woman. Like I went Aww. into teaching to be able to give people like you, you know, opportunities. And I remember at that moment being like, I want to have that feeling and this situation has. Um, but I've, I had always been attracted to business. I like the competition of business. And now at this stage of my life, I think if you want to be able to make mass social impact change, I think business is a great way to be able to do it. And so it was Mrs. Eichner, I think, had, had just such big, yeah, a big impact on my life both early and, and later as an adult. How did the um, ELP, the Experiential Learning Program, come to be? So I had originally started Saxon's book franchise because um, really there's no good reason for that, but because I really <laughs> had no experience and I wanted to be able to scale a business and I, I had a limited means of capital and so sure. franchising allowed me to do that. Um, and when Cornell created the Pillsbury Institute of Entrepreneurship and asked me to be one of the first two entrepreneurs in residence, you know, I spent a lot of time at what most people consider the, the the greatest hospitality school in the world is really the first of its kind. And yet they teach things like culture and hospitality and treating people well. And so when I went up there, I, I learned that Cornell teaches, like it's this big, beautiful building in the middle of campus. On one side of the building is this four-star hotel and the other side of the building is the classrooms. And so you could literally like be in a class learning, you know, financial management, and then you could push the doors open and go sort of see how it works in the operation of a hotel. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that if you can understand how a hotel operates, you can essentially apply that to any other industry. It's got all the same moving parts in a hotel that happen in an insurance company or a healthcare company or whatever it happens to be. I remember the dean of Cornell Hotel School telling me that. Um, I remember thinking to myself driving back to Philadelphia that night, I'm like, the same thing could be said about a bustling Saxby's. But I think the difference between a hotel and a, and a cafe is that 18 to 22-year-olds are spending a lot of the defining moments of their life in a cafe. And so mm -hmm. they're very attracted to that kind of business. And so, yeah, and I was looking for an alternative means to growth outside of franchising. And, and that's where I think I got super lucky is that I was introduced to the president of Drexel University, who's a really innovative leader in higher ed. And I, I essentially presented him a half-thought-out idea where his students would essentially designed their own on-campus Saxby's and then exclusively run it for full academic credit. And I think it hit a nerve with him because I really needed two critical things in order to be successful. I needed great real estate sort of in the middle of campus. And I needed what we've always called the people who run our cafes or CEOs or cafe executive officers. And I needed a student CEO for a minimum of six months. And this would have to be what they did. They couldn't run out of the business at 10 o'clock in the morning and go run to an accounting class. Like they had to do this, but no one needs to delay graduation. No one needs to stay in school another semester with the way we have you know, rising tuition, right. student, student uh, debt right now. And so John was the perfect first partner because he allowed me to, to pick some real estate in the middle of his campus and tap me into his co-op program where we have now the original, the, the young people, it's actually called OG Drexel. There's two of them on campus. OG Drexel, we've now had, we've had about 10 or 11 student CEOs out of that business. So, so these are 
you know, students who run a business that does about a million dollars in revenue, they employ about 40 of their peers, mm-hmm. they do all the community marketing plans, and every single month they come into my headquarters in Philadelphia and they present their profit and loss statement in front of my, my executive management team. I mean, I didn't know what a profit and loss statement was when I was their age. Right. They're now able to articulate a profit and loss statement through the management of 35 or 40 of their peers, and they've got competition all over the place. I mean, it's really phenomenal to watch what um, our experiential learning program has become. I bet. I mean, I think that is so – I'm such a huge believer, and that's actually how I learn experiential learning, you know, and um, having a, a, you know, a minor in business. I I mean, you really – it really didn't prepare me for a whole lot, you know, Um, and I'm not sure that I'm – a major would have either, you know, because getting that, the real experience is, is so that's, I think that's just genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is there is that we've got such great learning happening in the classroom, but in mm-hmm. order to give students right. sort of a holistic learning uh-huh. experience, they've got to be able to get out of their classroom, be right. able to apply it and, and apply it knowing that you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's a tough thing for young people is that they feel like when they go into a job, if they make a mistake, they're going to not get their internship won't turn into a job or they're going to lose their job or won't get promoted like the best things that happen in business come through mistakes you know Mm -hmm. like i started franchising and that wasn't the right way for us to be able to grow but if i had never franchised which is essentially the idea that you work out a business model and you allow another outside the organization entrepreneur to be able to use that business model or run their own business that's exactly what our experiential learning program is. But instead of a 45-year-old franchisee who puts up all this money to, to run run a Saxby's, we use 18 to 22-year-olds who don't put up any capital but mm-hmm. get to be entrepreneurial. They get to decide things, make decisions, learn learn from mistakes, and, and run a real business. And so I think that this is such a critical way. And, and one of the things that I love is that it's completely agnostic to coffee or food and beverage mm-hmm. or hospitality. Like right now, I think about Drexel. It's like the closest, it's the closest campus to my office. There's two Saxby's, both are experiential learning on that campus. The two student CEOs that are there right now, one's a marketing major and one, I kid you not, is a nursing major. Wow. So, Ooh. yeah, I mean, Margo wow. is, a, is, a, is, is majoring in nursing. And, you know, there's probably a 50% likelihood she stays in nursing. 50% likelihood she might move into something like entrepreneurship. But if she stays in nursing, she's now going to have such a better business mindset and level of experience that when she goes into nursing, she's going to have such a unique skill set to people who have just uh-huh. stayed within the nursing profession. And Absolutely. that's what I love is that it's attracted people from, you know, we now have almost a dozen experiential learning partnerships across the, the, the mid-Atlantic and East Coast. We've had, I believe, 36 different majors be student CEOs for us wow. so far, which is a pretty cool thing. Well, everyone can use a good business background. I mean, right. I, I had no business background. So when I started Bolson Group, it was really, I would have killed to have been in the ELP program yes. because I yeah. had to create my own little program to, you know, just to learn all these things. I have a daughter who's um, at Oberlin and, you know, it's a great school. They give them a lot of opportunity for really good internships. And um, I just tell her, you have to do internships that are going to be diverse and give you all kinds of backgrounds. So, because you don't know what you're going to do. You're at a liberal arts college, you're an English major, you know. Um, But this is the perfect thing for really Mm -hmm. any 
any student, I think liberal arts, business background, you're all set. Right, you know? right. Absolutely, yep. Um, so, Nick, you all are in the process of getting your B Corp certification, is that right? Did you mention that? We are, yes. How's that going for you? <laughs> it's going, you know, so it's easy for me to say it's going really well, but I'm I'm, I'm not the one who's uh, doing a lot of the, the grueling legwork. Our, our head of uh, social impact at Saxby's, Grace Manning, is an absolute superstar, and she's sort of been wrestling this beast to a finish line over the last year. You know, the, the assessment is arduous and thorough, um, and and it's also it's the the sort of larger business that you are, the more moving parts, sure. you have, the more challenging it is, you know. And so there's there's a lot at play with us. We're private equity backed. We have all these locations, all these people, and history of the business, and all those kinds of things. But Grace has just done a phenomenal job. Um, so we passed our assessment uh, probably about six months ago. We're in our audit phase right now, and. You know, if, if all things continue to track as, as they are, um, keeping our fingers crossed, we should be uh, approved and uh, a certified B Corp by, by the end of the summer, which is, uh, you know, a, a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, that is. Yeah, um, do you find just you have opportunity, obviously, on, on college campuses to work with younger people? <laughs> um, do you find that, that the B Corp certification sort of resonates there, that there's an understanding there? Tremendously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think there's a, a tremendous, tremendous interest. In fact, like I, myself, but a lot of people in my, my company speak to sustainability classes now, entrepreneurship classes, yeah, that, where it, you know, the core part of entrepreneurship. I mean, if you ask most college professors right now, what part of entrepreneurship is most interesting? It's usually social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And that even includes like the unit, one of the universities I speak most frequently at because literally 17 blocks from my, my office is Wharton, which is obviously mm-hmm. a very, very well-regarded um, business school at the University of Pennsylvania. I've been in that classroom, for, you know, in those classrooms for probably over a decade. And Ten years ago, Wharton was known as sort of like one of the preeminent finance right. schools. Most people went into banking and consulting. And now I remember Grace Manning, who I referenced before, was with me. I spoke to a social entrepreneurship class where they allowed their first years and second years at Wharton to come. I had done that probably five or six years ago, and the room was probably half full this time. It was a huge auditorium. It was standing room only. I was speaking to so many students afterwards who had just been at Goldman Sachs or been at McKinsey, some of the top firms wow. in the world. And now, upon graduation, they were planning to go do like microfinance in Africa or planning to start a B Corp or run a B Corp or do impact investing. It was amazing to watch the world change. And that's, that's at Wharton, you know, and I, right. and I see it sort of across the, the scale right now is that social entrepreneurship is incredibly important to young people and they're becoming more and more sort of hip to, to the importance of what B Corp actually is, which is part of the motivation for us, you know, sure. it's, it's both authentic to who we are, but we also realize that we have a platform to help the next generation of entrepreneurs do it even even bigger and better than, than we're doing at Saxby's. To go through the, um, you know, certification and to have an understanding so when you're asked questions will be um, extremely helpful for you, just having gone through it myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the recertification that they require seems daunting, but it's actually one of my favorite things. Uh, because you get to look at how you're performing and make improvements and uh, adjustments. Yeah, I, I think it is exciting. I, I, we always talk about how, like, internally we're sort of preparing 
the sort of mindset as if we are a B Corp. And the, the analogy I always give is that like, just because we've chinned this bar, what's happening now is we're going to raise the bar. The bar is going to become higher. And so if you look at sort of the, the scale of like ESG impacts or environmental, social, and governance, it's actually has always been strong in, in societal impact and sort of governance impact. You know, 70% of my management team is either uh, female and or people of color. Like we've always been very strong in those areas of the business, but environmental has never been a, a focus or a passion, pri- primarily because it was something that I just never knew much about. But I think the next thing that we're going to see is a combination of becoming B Corp certified and just opened up a roastery here in South Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I have a coffee team that's just traveled to eight different countries, three different continents over the last six months, and we bought all of our coffee in direct relationships. So they, they came to these relationships. We bought everything after cupping the coffee with the growers on their farms. We paid above market for all of the product. We're creating long-term relationships to buy their product and help them with their their farms as needed. I think now our next stage through the recertification process will be how do we take the environmental commitment to the next level? And, and I'm really excited for that because it's been something that we had not focused nearly as much on in, in the past years as Oxbase. I find, you know, we do talk to a fair amount of B Corps, and, and unless you're environmentally focused, like that's your purpose, it's, I think that's an area that, that most organizations struggle with, um, it's, it yep. certainly seems, so that's, that's interesting. Well, one of the questions that we always ask our guests, Nick, is what advice would you give to another company um, who was either interested in, in um, developing a social enterprise or or growing sort of a social responsibility platform? So I, I, you know, part of the reason why I try to spend as much time in higher ed as I do or, or in the classroom with, with entrepreneurship is that I think that one of our, one of our Achilles heels right now in, in education and teaching entrepreneurship is that we oftentimes skip over the importance of defining mission, culture, core values. We teach how to write a business plan and partners and SWOT analysis and raising capital. We teach all that very well. I think it gets lost over how important defining a mission statement and core values actually are. And so I think for the companies that are saying, you know what, like I feel like we're doing a lot of things well, but we want to take it to the next step. Maybe even get to the level of being B Corp certified where we're getting audited. Our impact is getting audited and certified that we're sort of a better company. I think you have to start with your your mission core values. I think everybody needs to sort of like reevaluate those mission core values because I see it from, from a firsthand perspective that Saxons was one company before our mission core values. We're an entirely different company that I'm really proud of after writing our mission core values because your culture, so, so mission core values allow you to define who you, you are. You ultimately hire your people based on that. And it's people that create culture. And if you don't have mission core values, you're going to hire people who aren't necessarily going to be fully aligned on what, what kind of impact they're trying to make. So I look at it as like mission core values plus people equals culture. And culture is where businesses really grow and differentiate from one another. So I, I really encourage people, even if you even if you are one of the rarefied companies that have this defined mission core values and you actually talk about it, you actually interview people based on it, you make hiring and, and promotional decisions based on it. I encourage people to sort of re- reevaluate those to make sure that they're in support of and not a hindrance to the kind of impact that you're you're going to look to make as an organization. That's that great. was really well said. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, Nick, we um, I could go on and talk to you all day, I, I think. Um, <laughs> but we, we need to wrap it up. So tell um, us and our listeners how they can find out more information about Saxby's. So we are we're pretty aggressive social media users as a business, but um, you can find out um, a little bit more about the company, our menu, our experiential learning program at hellosaxbees.com. And then you know we're we're uh, we love social media, so we're hiring a ton. So finding Saxbees on LinkedIn um, or just Saxbees on both Instagram and Twitter. And then for me, I, I also like LinkedIn and Instagram. So Nick Bayer B A Y E R at LinkedIn and. and Nick Bayer 6 on, uh, on Instagram. I think it's a good way to sort of get a feel for our business, which obviously is about mission core values. It's about making an impact, but it's, all that is done through people. You know, we are blessed to have amazing culturally aligned entrepreneurial people in our company, and that, that's what really allows us to differentiate. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Nick, it's been delightful to talk to you today as well as in the pre-interview. Keep doing the great work. We're going to be watching you from – from afar and maybe we'll make our way to Philadelphia sometime and mm-hmm. and uh, try your great coffee. So I would love to host you when you do. And thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. 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 Let's give a big thank you to Matthew Sosi, our podcast engineer. You can visit the Taking Care in Business website at takingcareinbusiness.com. Or just visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Taking Care in Biz. That's Taking Care in B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at any time at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, take, take care, care in, in business. business. Season's podcast is brought to you by Sexton's Creek Productions, an independent design agency offering video production, audio production, web development, digital media design, and much more. They believe in pushing creative boundaries to achieve excellence and taking a unique, collaborative approach to every project. They believe brand equals reputation and that businesses with the best brands are those who develop a bond of trust and shared values with their audience. It can be a real struggle for businesses to gain the trust of their audience when they can't represent themselves accurately or consistently. That's why Sexton's Creek Productions was created, to help businesses communicate in an authentic and consistent manner. Learn more about building trust with an audience by visiting sextonscreekproductions.com.